1: A brand new episode of Over the Line, where I try to get my volume settled in a matter of seconds. This thing seems to uh, want to change itself, so if you're listening to the recorded version and the volume's going up and down, that is why. We will get it figured out, though. I got a problem with, uh, controlling the volume of my voice, as you can tell right now. <laughs> so bad. All this stuff is so touchy. You can never really tell where you need to be at. I think we got it. Are we good? Are we good to go? I think. No. Yeah, There we are. There it is. Welcome to the show. OverTheLineShow.com is where you can find us, and it's where you can sign up for the newsletter as well. Got some uh, nifty things coming up. Very excited about that. Jeff Poor on the show today. Excited to talk to him. He's uh he's been covering uh very closely that story. <clears throat> Excuse me that story out of uh, West Alabama in Linden, Alabama, where the newspaper editor is like super racist and allowing super racist things to be written in his, uh, in his paper. So that uh, newspapers are still a thing. Yes. I know you're asking yourself for that right now, uh, but uh, that's, Make a national headline, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that since he's been on that beat and uh, plenty of more stuff. Yesterday, as you know, uh, Joy Villa was supposed to be on the show. She was a no-show for the show. And uh, we finally heard from her. She she texted me and told me she was sick and that uh, she wanted to reschedule. So we came up with the plan to have her on tomorrow. She wanted to uh, feverishly apologize to not only me, but to you guys for not showing up. She was sick, and her phone was off, and she just messed up. So, we will forgive her this time, and hopefully she will be up for it tomorrow. That's what we've got planned. Same time, so 11 o'clock Central Standard Time. If you're in the Central Time Zone, that's when uh, she'll be on. We'll try to go with the same plan as we had, which was... Uh, broadcast that on Facebook Live when uh, when she does come on and do that whole ditty, and it'll be exciting. We're just going to talk about anything and everything and see what happens. Also post a reminder on, on Facebook. I never really followed up for those on Facebook that never listened to the show. I figured they didn't know any different, so what's the point in telling them, you know, if they're not going to listen to the show anyway? <laughs> Why would I tell them? doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm like, oh, he's having her on twice. That's cute. All right, let's get to it. First off, um, the New York Times coming out with yet another article accusing the president of obstruction of justice. And round and round we go. It's funny to me because we always seem to find accusations, but we can never find the evidence. Anybody notice that you think the the newspapers or the, the, the Times or the Washington Post, they ever say to themselves, you know, we've got so much dirt in the form of accusations on Donald Trump, but none of them ever, ever get proven. It's always our anonymous sources telling us uh, this, that and the other. But yet we can never actually catch him in the act or get our hands on. Audio of him saying the things that we are accusing him of saying or any of that stuff. Why is that? It's because you're the enemy of the people. That's why. And this is where that comes from, by the way. The enemy of the people. Can we all agree that fake news is dangerous for American society? I mean, Democrats obviously think so. They've spent their, their last two years losing their mind over A Russian influencing our campaign through what fake news fake Facebook accounts fake articles so they're obviously upset with fake news they think it's dangerous they think it's uh, something that could really hurt the American population right thus being the enemy of the people So if we're going with the theory of the Democrats and how dangerous fake news is, I believe they would agree with the terminology, the enemy of the people. It only makes sense. I'm just saying. So let me break down this uh, New York Times article for you because it's the first thing I heard about this morning. You know, I start my day, go straight to the news and just see what's popping off. And, And a lot of times I'll start off with, cnn and msnbc and allow them to set the tone for my day which is it's not uh something i suggest to anybody but here's the article that dominated their headlines i i I sit and waited for these guys to move on to a different topic maybe jesse smollett or this This girl from Alabama that joined ISIS and now she wants to come back. But uh, no, it was it was just this article. So this article reads as follows. A federal as federal prosecutors in Manhattan gathered evidence late last year about President Trump's role in silencing women with hush money payments during the 2016 campaign. Mr. Trump called Matthew Whitaker, his newly installed attorney general, with a question. He asked whether Jeffrey Berman, the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York and a Trump ally, could be put in charge of the widening investigation, according to several American officials with direct knowledge of the call. Mr. Whitaker, who had privately told Associates that part of his role at the Justice Department was to, quote, jump on a grenade, end quote, for the president. And he knew. He could not put Mr. Berman in charge because Mr. Berman had already recused himself from the investigation. The president soon soured on Mr. Whitaker, as he often does with his aides, and complained about how his inability to pull levers at the Justice Department that could make the president's many legal problems go away. Trying to install a perceived loyalist atop a widening inquiry is a familiar tactic for Mr. Trump who has been struggling to beat back the investigations that have consumed his presidency. His efforts have exposed him to accusations of obstruction of justice. As Robert Mueller, the special counsel, finishes his work investigating Russian interference in the 2016 election, Mr. Trump's public war on the inquiry has gone on long enough that it is no longer shocking Mr. Trump rages almost daily to his 58 million Twitter followers that Mr. Mueller is on a witch hunt and has adopted the language of mafia bosses by calling those who cooperate with the special counsel rats. <laughs> There's a, Trump is adopting mafia language because he called somebody a rat. His lawyer talks openly about a strategy to smear and discredit the special counsel investigation. The president's allies in Congress and the conservative news media warn of an insidious plot inside the Justice Department and the FBI to subvert a democratically elected president. But an examination by the New York Times reveals the extent of an even more sustained, more secretive assault by Mr. Trump on the machinery of federal law enforcement. Interviews with dozens of current and former government officials and others close to Mr. Trump as well as a review of confidential White House documents, reveal numerous unreported episodes in a two-year drama. White House lawyers wrote a confidential memo expressing concern about the president's staff peddling misleading information in public about the firing of Michael Flynn, the Trump administration's first national security advisor. Mr. Trump had private conversations with Republican lawmakers about a campaign to attack the Mueller investigation. And there was an episode when he asked his attorney general about putting Mr. Berman in charge of the Manhattan investigation. <laughs> you know, I could probably do like one of these audiobook things. See, why didn't Cliff Sims ask me to do his audiobook? I could have totally pulled that off. You see how well I did that? I'd do an amazing job. Beyond me. Nonetheless, uh, here is the New York Times elaborating in dramatic fashion about how Donald Trump is uh, trying to pull the levers at the Justice Department and trying to uh, dictate how they conduct their business. Obviously not, because as the Times notes here, there's plenty of investigations going on. And if Donald Trump were able to um, uh, do what they say he's doing, none of those would probably be happening. Another part is the adoption of mafia-style language by calling people rats. And the other part to note, and keep in mind, that's like a a quarter of the article. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. Another part is they're interviewing dozens of current and former officials inside the White House or in Donald Trump's circle who are providing them confidential documents to review with their own eyes. So somebody is literally allowing people at the New York Times to view confidential documents. But Donald Trump is the crazy one for questioning the people around him as being shady Secret operatives, right? This happens time and time again. And you hear them bring it up. They talk about finding the leakers. There's tons of them. And a lot of them are holdovers. Some of them are really bad choices by the president. He gets some bad advice. Here's a... Donald Trump is is... I, I don't want to say he's easily swayed, but he is very open to new ideas. He's the type of guy... That instead of just having his mind made up on a situation, coming in and saying this is the way it's going to be, I don't want to hear what y'all think, nothing like that. He's the type of guy that wants to hear the opinions of others within his circle, right? Even if they completely go against his initial thought, he wants to take the best route. So he wants to hear all angles because there's always a possibility that somebody else has got a better idea than what he initially had. And he has no problem with that. And he has no problem with with changing his minds on on, on certain policies we've seen in the past. But where that hurts him is in bringing in new members of the cabinet, in appointing people to certain positions, because he'll get advice from people within his circle that aren't necessarily 100% loyal to not just the president, but to what the American people voted for. And they will steer him in the wrong way simply to damage him. And that's where you get people that go talk to the New York Times and show the New York Times confidential documents, confidential information. Because they are working against the president, but they have been so blessed as to be able to get a position within the White House or a position in the government that gives them access to the president at times it's been the, the 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 biggest or the most damaging thing to the president and you really can't say it's his fault you really can't if anything i think donald trump's going to be a victim of circumstance we voted for the guy because we knew I mean, we voted for the guy knowing that he was not a politician and not in the sense of we wanted somebody that's not a politician because politicians keep screwing us over, in the sense of he's inexperienced in the world of politics. He doesn't know necessarily how the inner workings go on, although he knows a good bit about it more than we do because he's been involved with the politicians. He knows the politicians. He just doesn't necessarily know what goes on Inside or how to operate such as. So he's had to learn on the job, and he's done a fantastic job doing so. And I I feel like he's moved at a very uh, quick pace in learning these things. But the problem is that inexperience has allowed people to come in who were wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. They came in as a manga loyalist only to turn out as a RNC establishment Republican loyalist or even Democrat operative. Even two years later, over two years later, there are sour grapes over Donald Trump being the guy that represented the Republican Party. The longtime RNC members, the longtime Republicans that are part of the establishment, they're still sour grapes over the fact that Donald Trump was the guy. We remember all the strife. We remember the division within the Republican Party. You can go back to the Republican National Convention and remember the murmurs of what they were going to do in order to take votes away from Donald Trump at the convention, even though he had outright won the primary. You know, you get to the convention, they go through the process, and all the delegates from across the country within the party, they cast their vote, and then they formally announce, which normally they would formally announce, the guy that won the vote, everybody would go with their district and say, this is what my people said, we'll cast our vote for them, blah, 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 blah. But it's well within the rights of those delegates to cast a vote against what their their district or their state voted for. And so there was a, a, an attempted coup or the potential for an attempted coup by the Republican Party to say, we can still stop this guy. If we can get enough people to cast votes against Trump, we can throw the runner up in there like Ted Cruz or I don't know if you can consider John Kasich the runner up. He got slaughtered, yet he stayed in the race the longest outside of Donald Trump. (laughs) But it was just because he's clueless and he eats pizza with a fork. I think we can all agree anybody that eats pizza pizza with a fork is, uh, is not suitable to run for president. I believe Donald Trump even said that at one time. But they hated him. A lot of them had had changed their mind. A lot of them pretended to change their mind. But there are still people, again, with sour grapes, that would love to see this president go down. And those are the type of people that are talking to the New York Times. Those are the type of people that are leaking as much as James Comey or Andrew McCabe or any of them. They might as well be in that group. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're Democrats in Republicans' clothing. It's as simple as that. And that will continue to go on. Accusations do nothing but form a narrative for the mainstream media. They can never back it up, and then they're honestly never held held accountable on the backside for publishing that accusation. That's why—and people get tired of seeing the the Jesse Smollett stuff already— But that's why people are so on top of this, because they were so blatantly caught in the act of pushing this lie that it is a a a golden opportunity to smear their name, which should have been smeared long ago for all the fake news that they've published. They're never held accountable. And that's why it's time to start now. And I think I think the time has come where people are doing so. Even the Covington kid is suing the Washington Post for like $250 million or something crazy. Good. If it takes a high school kid to finally hold the media accountable in the form of of dollar bills, go after them. Bankrupt them for all I care. I don't care how old the Washington Post is. I don't care what the Washington Post has done in the past. Bankrupt them. It's a new day. It's time for journalism to get some integrity back. And the only way to do that is to wipe out some of these jabronis that have made their uh, living in the new era built on fake news. And it didn't start with Trump. It just had to take a different route since Trump. Where during the Obama administration, their fake news was uh, was conducted in promoting Nice, warm and fuzzy stories about Obama that weren't true or that didn't deal with the issues. They have just flipped it around now that their guy or gal is not in office and have gone the opposite direction. Either way, it's both fake news. This is not a new thing for these guys. Also, on the Trump tip, and I found this absolutely hilarious. You remember... California was talking about this new high speed train deal that was going to cost billions of dollars and blah, 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 blah. And then the California governor's like, ah, I don't think we can pull it off. We can't build it in time. Like it's going to cost so much money. So, uh, we're not going to do it because we're not really in shape and we're already doing like New York and running people out of the, out of the state because we're taxing the crap out of people with money. Uh, He backs off of it. He says, you know what? We're not going to do it. But what we are going to do is we're going to finish what we've already started. And the government has already allocated us almost a billion dollars to do so. Right? So that wall was announced by Governor Newsom on uh, uh, the State of the State Address. That happened on February 12th in San Francisco. Uh. Well, no, it wasn't. I don't know where they held it at. But he did the state of the state. And um, that's where he announced he was going to cancel the the C&Fran to L.A. project, saying it's going to cost too much and it would take too long to complete. But he then tells legislators that he wants to complete the portion of the bullet train under construction in Central Valley, lest the state lose the federal dollars Uh, granted to California by Obama as part of the 2009 stimulus. He says, I'm not going to send back $3.5 billion in federal funding that was allocated to us, to this project, to Donald Trump. So even though he's canceled the plans, he's like, well, the part we've already started, we're going to go ahead and finish it because it's federal dollars. And we're going to finish it and use that money because I just don't want to send it back to Donald Trump. It's not that we need this high-speed train. It's not that we need this bullet train. I just don't want to give this money back to Donald Trump. So he's basically building this thing in protest. So he comes out with that. The news hits that he's like, I'm not sending that money back to Donald Trump. We're just going to continue to build it and build that portion of it in Central Valley. The president hears this, and so he he takes to Twitter, and he says, "Um, I'm going to need y'all to give that money back. (laughs) He says, obviously, y'all don't need that money. Uh, You're playing politics, talking about you're only using it so you don't have to send it back to me, so why don't y'all go ahead and send that back to D.C. uh, since you don't need it. Newsom, the California governor, then comes back, and he says... This is California's money allocated by Congress for the project. We're not giving it back. So then, after that, and this happened, what's today, Wednesday, and this happened yesterday, the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Railroad Administration sends a letter to the California High-Speed Rail Authority letting them know that it was terminating their agreement with the state and therefore would refuse to provide the state with the $928 million, almost $1 billion allocated to the high-speed rail project. So the money, the rest of the money that California was waiting on, that was allocated back in 2009 by Barack Obama, that they no longer need, but they're not going to send back because he don't want to send back the money to uh, or he doesn't want to cancel the agreement and let Donald Trump keep the money. Now the government, the federal government is like, you know what? We're just, we're not going to send it to you. We're going to go ahead and terminate the agreement. And they actually listed some some valid reasons. They said uh, there's a likelihood that the high-speed rail is not going to be completed by 2022, which was part of the agreement. They said that they also had failed to provide timely and satisfactory financial reports to the federal government, all part of the agreement. So they weren't holding up their end of the deal. So the FRA is like, hey, we're just, uh, we're not going to be sending you all that grant that you wanted. Sorry. Sorry, (laughs) cuzzy. Not today. So Trump wins that, and California's pitching a fit. Absolutely fantastic. I love it, I love it, I love it. Also, on the end of Trump winning and the left losing their mind, the Trump administration is now leading an effort to decriminalize homosexuality around the world. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, As we know, in other countries... In, in certain countries, if you are a homosexual, if it's fa- you're found out to be homosexual, or if you, if you are caught with someone of the same gender in a relationship, in a romantic relationship, you will be murdered, you will be lynched, you'll be hung from a tree, you'll be stoned to death, thrown off a roof, just a variety of things. A variety of things that will happen to you if you are a homosexual. The Trump administration is now making a move to decriminalize that with the help of Richard Grinnell, who is uh, one of our ambassadors in Belgium, to put an end to that and urge other world leaders to put a stop to the abuse and, and the murder of people that are homosexual. Now. We just had a president, though, that claimed to be the one that um, cared the most about the LGBT community. I mean, for heaven's sakes, he went so far to stand up for the LGBT community as to light up the White House in a rainbow. I mean, that really helped them, right? D- didn't lighten up the White House in a rainbow, stop the murder? of thousands of gay people overseas? Oh, it didn't? Oh. I could have swore that was a thing. Well, leave it up to Trump to do all the things that people in the past said they cared so much about that they promised they would do on the campaign trail. Leave it up to Trump to actually get those things done. So now they're flying people from all over Europe In to discuss what they can do about eliminating the criminalization of homosexuality. And no matter what you think about homosexuality, you have to admit that sentencing them to death for being homosexual is not something that we, the human race, should be tasking ourselves with. Even if you want to condemn homosexuality, you don't want to have nothing to do with it, or you want the people to repent so they can go to heaven, that's fine. I think that's great. But putting these people to death is not what we should be doing. We should actually uh, be giving them a safe haven from death. And if you are a believer in the Bible, You want to show these people the same love that others show you. That's the way we should do it. So all the liberals, all the progressives, all the people that claim to stand up for those in the LGBT community, all those who rushed to judgment for Jussie Smollett, who was attacked because he was not just black, but he was gay, they um they haven't been talking about this issue it took trump to be the first person with a platform to bring these issues up now we the peasants of america we've talked about them for a long time we've continued to bring this up and ask the question why does the lgbt community the the progressive gay rights movement in america Why are we not talking about those things? And why are we also trying to import a culture that believes in killing those gay people into this country? Why in the world is the gay rights movement trying to literally commit suicide by bringing in people that want to kill them just for being gay? And apparently, they still want to do that because I saw an article From the gay website called Out, I assume that's referring to coming out, out of the closet. Um, Matthew Rodriguez wrote this article, and he's obviously a very liberal, progressive gay man. And he jumps through a lot of hoops in an article he published to justify... How Trump is racist for trying to decriminalize homosexuality across the world? You can't make this up. He said Trump's plan to decriminalize homos- homosexuality is an old racist tactic. This is the same thing I see. I, I read comments on the article of this on I don't remember what website it was. It's probably CNN or something. And instead of saying, wow, he's doing something good for us or our people or, you know, the LGBTQ community that we claim to care so much about, they say, oh, he, he's just trying to get votes. That's all he's doing. He doesn't really care about the gay people. Well, here's what Rodriguez says. Here's how his article starts off. While on its surface, the move looks like an atypically benevolent decision by the Trump administration, the details of the campaign... Uh, Seem to be a different story. Rather than actually being about helping queer people around the world, the campaign looks more like another instance of the right using queer people as a pawn to amass power and enact its own agenda. Now, who does that sound like? If if I gave you the description of... Uh, the campaign looks more like another instance of the... Blank, using queer people as a pawn to amass power and enact its own agenda. What would blank be? Yes, the Democrat Party. This sounds more like it. Let me let me read it to you one more time. The campaign looks more like another instance of the Democrat Party using queer people as a pawn to amass power and enact its own agenda portraying what they themselves are doing onto the other side. This guy goes on to essentially defend Iran and their anti-gay policies. Listen to this. The most telling detail of NBC News' report is that his plan centers homophobic violence in Iran, who NBC calls the administration's top geopolitical foe, The plan has reportedly been spearheaded by the U.S. ambassador to Germany, Richard Grinnell, who is also the administration's top-ranked gay official, in response to news that a young gay man was hanged in Iran recently. Grinnell has had his eyes on Iran for some time, and just a week ago, he was trying to get several European nations to pass sanctions on Iran, unrelated to the country's stance on homosexuality, to no avail. Homosexuality has been illegal in Iran since the theocratic 1979 Islamic Revolution. By at least one Guardian account, since the exit of President Muhammad Ahmadinejad in 2013, enforcement of anti-gay laws has softened somewhat. Homosexuality, according to the writer, is an open secret, and most queer people fear homophobic reaction from fellow citizens more than authorities. So he's justifying. He's saying, oh, it's it's not as bad as y'all think. It's not as bad as y'all think. I mean, yeah, there was a gay guy that was hanged in Iran the other day, but it's not that bad. You know, it used to be really bad. But now it's just kind of an open secret that if uh, you get caught, you get hanged. It's amazing to me, the excuses that these people come up with. Anything they can do to make sure that Donald Trump does not get credit for sticking up for the community that they say they themselves stick up for. In this case, the LGBT community. They're getting to a point where they can no longer pretend. People are going to start asking the questions, why is Donald Trump the one doing these things and you're not? I thought you were the ones that were going to stand up for us. Stand up for our rights. Keep us safe. Because while in the US of A, we're pretending that gay people are having ropes put around their neck, in Iran, it's actually happening. Over the line, line, overthelineshow.com. Andrew McClain coming back on the other side. Y'all hang tight. to get the word out and help grow your business. Hey, it's Andrew from Over the Line, the podcast. We are looking to partner with brand new business owners to help grow their business and get the word out to our listeners so we can link them up with the best businesses around. They spend their hard-earned money on these products, on these services, and we wanna make sure we get them teamed up with the right people. If you're interested in teaming up with this podcast and letting people know about your business, Contact me, andrew at overthelineshow.com. That's andrew at (laughs) overthelineshow.com. Over the line, over the line show.com. Andrew McClain hanging out with you and you and you and you. On the line right now, as promised, the guy that always delivers. It is the one and only Jeff Poor. Jeff, what is up, my friend? What's going on, Andrew? How are you doing today? Man, I'm excited to, uh, to finally have somebody call the show when they said they were going to call the show we were supposed to have joy joy villa on yesterday and she was a no show turned out she was sick but she's calling us tomorrow but still it's that moment now you have a lot of uh, a guest on your show at least like three a day have you had one of the instances where your guests didn't call and you got to scramble to make up the time
0: yeah so what happened we had a uh, we had congressman mike rogers scheduled and he got called to a vote in the first hour of my show. So what I had to do was I just had to improvise. We had to move some stuff around. He later called it like the last hour of the show, but uh, I mean, it happens. Uh, I haven't had anybody just be a straight up no show yet. I, 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 I assume that will, that will happen, but
1: no, it's coming. I, I,
0: I tell you really the, the, the thing with the radio and booking guests is that that in itself is a full-time job. Uh, in addition to this show prep because most radio shows if you're big time you you have a you have a pretty good producer that will 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 call people and try to get them on but i I think in this day and age with all the cutbacks in radio you really got to do it yourself
1: well the way it was when i was on air i obviously i had jessica and she was pretty good like if i would ask her uh, to get somebody or attempt to get somebody on the show. Of course, we'd fight like cats and dogs about it because we never wanted to take orders from each other. But she would eventually go do it. And now that I'm on this end, and I'm not only my producer, but I'm my 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 guest booker and all this other stuff, it's like, man, what a headache this is. It's brutal. Well, the good thing is like, I've been in this racket for like 15,
0: 16 years now. And I know a lot of these people, so it's not a big deal for me to say, "Hey, can you come on the show today?" and get them to come on. But like, I have a very green producer who's never done any of this before. He's a, he's a kid that uh, I I think he's a community college student, doesn't know a lot of people. And I tried to, I tried to sign him. Okay, I want you to go book this guest for me, and he was just (laughs) like, he, he didn't know how to do it. He didn't, and it's just at some point you're just like, well, I can teach you, but it's just better when they hear from the actual show host. And they say, yeah, Jeff Poor, I know that name, or whatever. And yeah. that makes it a lot easier. Because if it's just, oh, I'm, I'm some kid producer for a radio station at Huntsville, Alabama, I, I, they're not going to, they're not going to, may not even respond.
1: Sounds like I need to interview this kid and just get him to spill some dirt on the Jeff Poore show.
0: Uh, if you ever listen to the show, uh, it's, it's pretty brutal. I'm pretty, uh, pretty uh, I won't say abusive is the word, but <laughs> I can be mean sometimes to uh, this young
1: gentleman. You know what? How, you know how that happens. It's hanging around Dell Jackson too much.
0: Oh, I'm a sweetheart compared to that. <laughs> that guy is he is tough to work for. But uh, I'm uh, I, 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 I do. I, you do get kind of the millennial sort of mentality these days. and uh, He he ha ha. You know, that's no big deal. It, it, it's it wears on you after a while.
1: Yeah, I, I got you. And I appreciate you being so open about that. I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear the inner workings of the Jeff Moore show. Is well, you just, pretty much heard them all just now. I mean, that's <laughs> that's basically it. Well, I mean, uh, let's, does he contribute? Now, I, I obviously, I haven't listened to your show as much as um, I, I would like to, but I've listened to a good portion of it. And uh, does a guy contribute a lot to the show, or is he just sit laid back and running the board and, Doing the doing the Cliff Sims Gopher stuff.
0: We 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 we. I when I tell him he's allowed to participate, he can participate. Uh, that's pretty much how <laughs> it is. It's it's a benevolent dictatorship. I at some point I got to shut you off because you don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes I'll 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 embarrass him. Like he didn't know who his congressman was one day, and we had that on air, and. It, one day, like yesterday, he couldn't name a single John Wayne movie, even oh, though he no. wanted to talk about the John Wayne Playboy thing. Uh, he didn't know who Senate Pro Tem Del Marsh was. I, 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 I kind of—he's kind of a useful prop in that regard. And I could say this is kind of like what people, what people out there think. Something you and I take for granted is like everyday knowledge. A lot of people don't know that. You know, people don't, people don't realize that. that a lot of people don't think about the stuff we think about. And you got to point that out because, I mean, this guy's a right winger. He's all into Ben Shapiro and he's all into reading the Daily Wire and you know the 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 things of the cult following. But if you start asking him why, it 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 becomes a different story, right? And and it's useful to the audience because you could say like, yeah, these they may vote the right way, and and I'm sure it's like that on the left. I know it's like that on the left, the people don't really think these things through, and they, they're just kind of they're conservative or liberal because they think it's the cool thing to be or whatever,
1: right? Right. Well, it's and, and it's, it's, a, it's a good gimmick for the show, too. When you have those things that would annoy normal radio people, uh, to be able to utilize that and just make that a part of the show, like like you're doing with your, uh, your dictator persona. I, I can already imagine, like the way the New York Times describes Donald Trump— uh, that seems to be how you're describing yourself as part of this radio show.
0: Well, yeah, but it's a much smaller it's a much smaller, uh, it's a much smaller uh, sort of uh, sort of atmosphere. I, I don't quite have wield that much power, but it, at some point, you know like I'm new to the radio thing too, and I'll be the first to tell you that I mess up a lot. And that first week it was <laughs> it was pretty rough, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, now that I'm a little more comfortable behind the microphone, and I kind of know like the timing and, and a lot of that stuff, I'm getting better at it. But then you you realize like I got to be careful here because I I, I, I tend to think everybody's kind of thinking you know on my level, but they're not necessarily. They, they, you've got to kind of dumb it down just a little bit. You don't have to go completely <laughs> you know like, like 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 middle school, but you got to stop and explain who the players are and what this means and how this all works together. Because it's stuff that we, we sometimes take for granted in our heads, and you have to explain it, and you can use examples. Of my, my favorite thing to do, especially for a radio audience in Alabama, is to use sports metaphors and explain the whole – how. And, and you could you could also do this by kind of tying it to the Alabama-Auburn rivalry, right? Uh, you
1: know. <laughs> I mean, Jeff. like – I'm loving this. Oh, this is Jeff Port. Is, is this new Jeff Port radio persona, it's like – dictator poor has to dumb it down for the peasants that are listening to the radio. No, I'm just kidding. Well, but, yeah, it's,
0: I, <laughs> I guess, but you don't want to say like, you don't want to, you, you don't cause you don't want to be too over people's heads cause you're mass communicating to a bigger audience. Right. And there's a reason like I'm the host because I've had the time to study this and work in this, or it's like your average person driving to and from work. They don't really think about these. Right, things. Right. They don't have time. And, and you got to, I mean, you've you got to simplify it for them. You got, and, and that's, that's kind of where we're at right now, trying to gauge the audience and figure out how to to communicate it in a way that's understandable to the most amount of people possible, if that makes sense.
1: Well, and and that's part of what I can attribute to my success, and, and by success, I mean being on the radio for two years and getting fired, um, is the inability to talk over people's heads. Where I've got some of the knowledge crammed in my head, I don't know how to... Uh, portray it, or I, I don't know how to verbalize it without it being in its simplest form, just because that's the way I am. I'm a t- I'm the type of guy, I'm just the regular dude that never went to college or anything like that. Like, I, I graduated from Taco Bell University at 23, and you know, I, I don't know any other way to put these things. So, that's been kind of my advantage, but I understand what you're saying because I've been through that process before. Like I can I could talk to you for twenty minutes about Medicaid
0: expansion. And most people are like, Well, what well, what is Medicaid expansion? And you have to go you have to think like like okay, I need to explain what Medicaid is. And because most people don't most people don't have Medicaid. They never even have to think about Medicaid, right? right. And like, then like you have to say, Well, they want to expand it. Well, what what does that even mean? And you have to get you have to get from there to the next step. And then once you explain that, then you can kind of say, "This is what they want to do because these hospitals are failing, and the less people on Medicaid because the population is smaller." And you go through all the details, but you got to realize, like, you got to start from a point. And sometimes my point A is a lot further along in the process than the average person and the average listener's
1: point A, if that makes sense. No, I got you. I'm with you 100. Uh, percent All right, let's uh, let's throw a couple headlines out there. There's some stuff on on the national side, like. The the MSNBCs and CNNs are running wild with this New York Times article that's talking about Trump as as trying to pull levers at the Department of Justice and with Whitaker and all this kind of stuff. And Whitaker allegedly said he'd jump on a grenade for Donald Trump, and that's part of his job. And blah 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 blah. And it's all citing inside sources and confidential uh, documents that they themselves got to read, and all this, that, and the other we made the point at the beginning of the show that it seems to be the 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 times and every other outlet with with the washington post and whoever people that initially put this stuff out they've got so much dirt on donald trump that in the form of accusations yet none of those ever come to fruition in the sense of You never get audio of it or video or any confirmation, any evidence that any of those accusations are true. And at what point do those guys look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know what? Maybe we need to try something different because we're putting this out there because we want it to be true. We want to prove it to be true, yet we're never able to.
0: Well, there's there's a couple of things going on here. I think you keep talking about this deep state stuff. And the administrators say when Donald Trump does something, and, and you guys look, elections have consequences. You voted or Donald Trump got elected president in our system that, that was set up by our founding fathers. If he wants to go down to the Department of Justice or the Department of Defense and, and violate protocol, I mean there, there's nothing that says he can't do that. But what happens is when Donald Trump decides he wants to do that, there's some bureaucrat that's some 20, 30-year veteran down at the Pentagon. Are down at the Department of Justice that says this isn't how we do things. I'm gonna, and then they leak it to the New York Times and the Washington Post. So it gets leaked, and the New York Times and the Washington Post, in order to make it newsworthy, have to make it seem like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Here we have this like this rogue president, and he's just violating all the norms. And that's how they portray it. And and my 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 instinct tells me that he's doing some stuff that there's some people that don't like it. It could be some of these defense contractors. It could be it could be competitors of defense contractors. The Washington game is very complicated. The chessboard is really weird. But I think in order to make it newsworthy, in order to make it something that the New York Times and Washington Post and, and everybody on, on cable news can light their hair on fire about, they have to figure out how to make it anti-Trump. But just look at what the underlying message is. These things leak for a reason, and I don't think it's just to make Donald Trump look bad necessarily. It, it may be just because they don't like some of his decisions,
1: right? Yeah, that's uh that that's a big part of it. Um, also, let's move over to this thing real quick of the Trump administration making moves to decriminalize homosexuality across the globe. Now, how far can they get in that effort? I have no idea. Is is there any headway even going to be made in the smallest form? Nobody knows. But the fact that they're trying to do this, I think, is a pretty, pretty big thing and pretty telling about how wrong people have Donald Trump. Yet the side well, and, and, and the people that have the, the ones that claim to have the interest of the LGBT crowd uh, most close to heart are the people that never even attempted this, whether these attempts are in vain or not. They never even tried. It's the the biggest accomplishment for the LGBT crowd under Obama that I can remember is the White House was was lit up in rainbow colors.
0: Well, let's let's think about this. What what can the what can the Trump administration do in order to get other countries more in line of accepting uh, homosexuality? And uh, you know there's a number of things they have. They have levers they can. Uh, they, you know, like foreign aid. Like we, Uganda is like has some really strict laws, right? But you know, the United States is sending foreign aid over to Uganda because they have to, you know, they'll figure help them feed their people and they get clean drinking water because these are just these are poverty-stricken nations. But they're they're steadfast in their beliefs. So I think at a policy level, a lot of presidents were apprehensive to do that because you know you don't want to endanger some people. Because of a, 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 a belief that, that here in this country we're just now coming around to accepting, right? So I think now as society has advanced and we're kind of more accepting of uh, of the LGBT lifestyle, I think it's more possible for a president to be a Donald Trump or whoever the next president is, more even more so than Obama, because Obama, you know, he 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 moderated his views on gay marriage. We all know that that's documented. He's it in a debate. In front of Rick Warren, right? So we, I I think now the society's changed. Even in the last ten years, it's doing these, making these kind of foreign policy gestures. It's more, you know, he's more able to do that. We we progress as a country, so now that we can dictate foreign policy in such a way to do so. That's, I think, is where where this comes from.
1: Well, yeah, and I think we are far more accepting of it than we once were. But never were we at the point where, you know, under the law, we were hanging people for being gay. Like it, there was right. there was no uh, judicial process for people because they were gay. And this is something that. In 2019 is is going on, so maybe part of it is the progression of the acceptance of the LGBT crowd in in the U.S. But still, I don't I don't know that we're any more accepting now than we were uh, five or six or seven years ago under Obama. So I'm just curious as to why. I I don't know why the LGBT crowd is still some of the crowd is, is still rallying against Donald Trump in these efforts and why they have ignored these atrocities that have gone on in other countries. Like when a a conservative or somebody from another side of an argument brings that up and says, why don't you care about this? Or why are you so adamant about bringing people that are bringing a culture of killing gay people over to this country and and you seem to not even care although you're screaming gay rights every single day
0: well uh, just look at the way barack obama handled iran what do we know about iran and 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 the lgbt community they throw them off the roof or something right right i've always always heard these stories that they're really brutal so uh, but Obama wouldn't be would be would have been reluctant to criticize Iran because he didn't want to botch the Iran Newton deal. So yeah, while we maybe eight, nine years ago and Obama didn't do it, I, I think now the, the the society's to the point where you could be more forceful about it and you can upset now. It's it, it used to be kind of one of those things we would prefer you not do it. Now we can lay down a flag in the sand to say. No, you will not do this, right? I think things are changing in that direction, and I, I just think this is the time that Donald Trump's doing. Now, now on the other hand, well, the, the LGBT crowd is never going to like Donald Trump, no matter what. Well, that's probably true. I mean, that's that's probably just a fact of life, and they're going to they're going to portray it as him using the the issue to advance his political agenda. But like, is, 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 do you think people are sitting around the White House right now saying, you know? 2020, we need to win some voters. Let's go after the LGBT voters. We can really make some inroads with them. I, I don't think that's. I don't think they're that naive. I don't think that's going on at all. That's what we're being told is going on. But I, I, I do think it's a it's a heartfelt gesture. But there's always going to be people that are going to question it and question the motivations.
1: Well, and I, I think you know with the appointment of uh, uh, you know ambassadors across the globe that are gay, I think this is just a side effect of that where they take these issues to heart and what triggered this or what triggered the 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 issue to be brought to the forefront was a young man that was hanged in Iran for being homosexual. So you're right. I don't think it's a thing about being about votes. I think it's Donald Trump has put people in his administration that truly care about those issues and about what's going on in other countries, so it's being brought to the forefront. And when it's brought to the White House, the White House says, "Yeah, we need to put a stop to that stuff. It's ridiculous that that people are being uh, killed in that fashion for for honestly doing nothing wrong." So yeah,
0: and and, and that you know, it, like I said, it's it just seems that now is the time to do it. We just finally got to that place yeah. that it seemed appropriate. And we 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 tend to look inward as a country, right? We tend to just look at the United States and our perspective as the United States, but you got to look at it from how these other countries respond to it. They have totally different cultures, totally different sensibilities, and what goes here doesn't go there. We're more progressive as a society than a lot of societies on this globe, and you got to look at it and say, are they ready? Is it time to push them in this direction? and I think that's that's what it boils down to.
1: Right. Well, and I think we know Donald Trump is is the type of person that doesn't want to intervene in other countries if we don't have to or do it for the wrong reasons, but there is a there is a line that is drawn where you have to make those tough decisions and that's when people are losing their life. That's when you got to decide whether or not to intervene and that's what's happening in Venezuela, that's what uh, you know, happen in in Syria with the chemical weapons and all kinds of stuff. So that's usually uh, where we go with that stuff. All right, let me real quick, and I'm about to let you go, but I want to talk to you about this newspaper in Linden, Alabama. It has over the past 24 hours or so made its way out of Alabama and is starting hitting the the national outlets where they're reporting on it. Give me a little bit of the backstory on this.
0: Well, so. Uh... Chip Bradley, who's the editor at the Auburn Plains of the College newspaper, stumbled upon one of these editorials and put it out on Twitter. Melissa Brown, who's a reporter, not a very talented reporter, but a, a reporter for the uh, Montgomery Advertiser, she, she ran with the story, and she contacted the editor. It got the 411, and now she's heralded as breaking this big story. But anyway, it is what it is. It's out there. It made the judge report, and – this man Goodloe Sutton, who is the editor and the owner of the Democrat reporter this newspaper in London, Alabama, had – I mean he had this – This we know the editorial now. He called for the KKK to march on Washington, D.C. is idiotic. It's racist. And there's no other way to describe it, right? And it made national headlines, but you have this feeding frenzy going on now, and this – for some reason, it didn't really catch fire nationwide like I thought maybe it would. Like, you know, people like to say, oh, look at those racist one-tooth wonders down in Alabama again, just doing Alabama stuff. It didn't really do that. The people who are really pushing it now and trying to prolong the storyline are the the, the the usual suspects. It's the AL.coms. It's the, it, it, I guess it's the Montgomery Advertiser crew. They're looking for every possible angle on this. But, but a little background first. Uh, Goodloe Sutton is the editor of that paper. He has a storied history. He's had the paper since the 60s. He inherited it from his father, who had it since 1910 or something crazy like that. He is just a sad old man at this point. I, I, that's kind of my view of it. In the 1990s, he took down a corrupt sheriff of Marengo County, who was it, it's just like something you would see in the movies, the big-bellied sheriff kind of running the county, taking money where he shouldn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking money from people, and, and he 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 was the he 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 was pushing back against that. He started writing editorials, and, and then eventually he tried to get in touch with like the the the, the, the AG's office, the, the Department of Justice, and he could never could get a response. But he just kept penning these editorials, and the sheriff kept threatening him and trying to uh, uh, trying to arrest him and take him down. But he persisted, and eventually some higher authorities came in and busted up this whole corrupt system the sheriff at Marengo County, Alabama, had. And he got credit for it because he wasn't going to cower to it. So like Rick Bragg from the New York Times in the, in the 99s so that does this long story about what a heroic figure this guy is. And he just kind of lives this legacy of being the guy that what you would think small-town newspaper hero ought to be. But it turns out he's a crackpot racist because you could go back. It's not just this editorial. This isn't just a one-off. There's a lot in that newspaper over the years. You know, this is my understanding of it. That that has gotten published. that should never see the light of day. The reason it's flown under the radar, per se, is because it's, they didn't put their newspaper on the internet. They're right. one of these last holdouts that still does print media, and they still do it like the old-fashioned way. They're not going to go on the internet. So that's. That's kind of the background
1: of it. Well, and this guy, uh, this is one of the people that that we know, us that live in reality, know that are dying off, that are disappearing from society. There's not many of them left. Even when he was talking to the Montgomery Advertiser, this guy admitted he doesn't currently know any Klansmen. Most of them died off in the 60s and 70s. So he seems to be almost saying that, hey— I'm I'm one of a kind, at least in this area, at least in the group of people I know. There's not many of us left, so uh, they're disappearing uh, uh, by the well, day. Let me let me tell you a little story real quick about Marengo County, Alabama.
0: Now, during the '60s, with Selma and Birmingham and Montgomery, they were all having their protests, riots, and their racial strife. Marengo County, tiny little Marengo County near the Mississippi line, they the, 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 the African-American, the power structure there, and the white power structure at the time got together, and they brokered a deal to integrate, to desegregate, and do away with all of this. And they took it to the Department of Justice, who okayed it, and they avoided a lot of the racial problems that were plaguing the society at the time because they came up with a solution on their own. And to this day, in Alabama, you go to these small counties of the Black Belt – well, they're not small, but small population, right? And you go to them, and you see a – you still see a segregated school system. You see the public school, which is mostly black, and you see the private school, which is all white because white parents don't want to send their kids to school with the black kids. I mean it's just a matter – it's just a fact of reality in a lot of places in Alabama. It's not so in Marengo County. They have they – they integrated. You don't have any private schools. You you maybe have one that's struggling, I think. But I, I interviewed the mayor of Demopolis. Demopolis is the biggest town in Marengo County. Linden is the county seat. Uh, they kind of work together, if you can imagine that. But they avoided a lot of the racial problems that plagued Alabama. This is not a throwback to the '60s. This kind a of throwback to the 1920s. And I, I think he wasn't he wasn't even one of his time in, in 1960s Alabama. He was one of his time in a much earlier era. So the way this is being portrayed. I, I think what the media are missing – let me just say this way – is there's a bigger, deeper story there that he doesn't reflect that community. He has a printing press. He's always had a printing press. He inherited it from his daddy, and he's always been kind of a strange, eccentric character that one time was the darling of the, the national media and the local media. As you see, there's taking all his awards away. But there, there's a deeper story to be told there. So it's just not going to get told. And I, I, I think that that's that's a, uh, that's a shame.
1: Well, I just hope and pray that somebody, some filmmaker is down there now uh, shooting a documentary. Because I, I think that would be an amazing movie just to go through all the stuff you just said and uh, be able to document what's going on today. Now that he's back once again in the national headlines as he once was. Uh in, in his uh, in his glory days. Again, I, I can't help but go back to the thing of these people are dying off and, and he even admits that. But do you think that the this story is convenient and that people like CNN or The Times or The Post are, are doing backflips over the fact that this story is coming out while they're all trying to cover their backside for their negligence and their ir- irresponsible journalism? On the Jussie Smollett story to say, yeah, maybe we got this wrong, but look, this just proves why we, you know, we're so adamant to jump on that story because we know this kind of racism still exists. I, I mean, well, the Jesse Smollett story happened in downtown
0: Chicago at two in the morning. This happened in some middle of nowhere place in West Alabama, that's been going on under the radar for the last, I would say, probably 20 years at least. And so nobody
1: got the news put around their neck because. No one of got it. the news. But but no one
0: discovered it until Chip Brownlee shows up and, and is passing through and picks up a local copy of the newspaper and is like, holy cow, look at this. So, that I mean, the, the, the people, if you notice, this hasn't gotten the widespread national attention that a lot of people think it should in the state. And the people that want it to get that kind of attention, There is a group of people predominantly that work in the media here that think Alabama needs to be remade into like a northeastern state like a Connecticut and be more liberal, more progressive, and not be as right and center as it is. And this is – they want to make this story a centerpiece of why we need to change society, the fabric of society of Alabama. That's where they're going with this, I think. I think that's why now I don't think the, the people writing the stories are smart enough to think that, but I do think their editors are kind of thinking that, that they have a vision for Alabama. And their vision for Alabama has nothing to do with the way it is now, but they need to they need to accentuate the bad parts of that. And this is why we need to change Alabama whole cloth. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think people take it seriously, but I think that's the underlying, underlying uh, goal here.
1: Well, they look at Alabama and say, well, they've already taken the first step. They've elected a Democrat to the Senate, so they're well on their way. <laughs> yeah, we, we heard a lot of that in 17, but how did that work out a year later, right? Exactly. Well, Jeff, uh, I appreciate it as always, buddy. We'll be talking to you again next week, and uh, thanks again for calling in, man.
0: Anytime, man. You have a you have a good uh, rest of your week.
1: There you go. My man, Jeff Poor from Yellowhammer, Breitbart, and WVNN in Huntsville. If you're in North Alabama, make sure you flip on your radio. 92.5 from two to five central time. You can also listen, I believe it's WVNN.com. Just Google listen to WVNN. You can listen from anywhere in the whole country place. We'll take a quick break, come back on the other side, wrap this thing up. i got a few more things to throw at you before we get out of here. Over the line, Line OverTheLineShow.com. Andrew McClain, y'all hang tight. Are you looking to get the word out and help grow your business? Hey, it's Andrew from Over the Line, the podcast. We are looking to partner with brand new business owners to help grow their business and get the word out to our listeners so we can link them up with the best businesses around. They spend their hard-earned money on these products, on these services, and we want to make sure we get them teamed up with the right people. If you're interested in teaming up with this podcast and letting people know about your business, contact me, andrew at overthelineshow.com. That's andrew at (laughs) overthelineshow.com. Trump is threatening his family on Twitter. That okay. That's a thing. That's a that's a headline today. It's
2: no to be safe sorry.
1: So this all kind of started when Saturday Night Live did another boring, played-out segment on Donald Trump. This time, recounting his. Speech in the Rose Garden declaring a national emergency on the southern border. And uh, it, I mean, it was, it was kind of funny, kind of not funny. I mean, I'm in the business of laughing at the president. I think he's got some hilarious characteristics uh, when he's self uh, deprivating. I think that's funny uh, when he talks about, you know, this, that, and the other, and just. The way he conducts himself, especially when he's going on the attack. I think it's hilarious. And I can laugh at some of this stuff. But at a point, it just, it gets played out. <laughs> and SNL can't seem to uh, to figure out that the Donald Trump skits are just getting kind of old. You can only do it for so long. And people in comedy, they they should know that but it seems like these guys, they don't understand. Here, I'll I'll play a little bit for you, just so you can get an idea of uh, what this skit sounded like. And now,
3: a message from the President of the United States.
1: Again, this is Alec Baldwin playing Trump.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. I'm here to declare a very urgent, important national emergency. <laughs> this is a big one, so I don't want to waste any time. That's why first I'd like to blow my own horn a little bit, okay? I just had a great health exam. I'm still standing six foot, six foot seven, 185 pounds, shredded. <laughs> okay. Also, we have another summit coming up in Hanoi with the North Korean leader, Chairman Kim who, by the way, is a very cool, misunderstood guy. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to seeing him next week. It is dinner for schmucks, as he calls it. (laughs) Let's cut to the chase, folks. We need wall, okay? We have a tremendous amount of drugs flowing into this country from the southern border or the brown line, as many people have asked me not to call it. (laughs) That's why we need wall, because wall works. Wall makes safe. You don't have to be smart to understand that. In fact, it's even easier to understand if you're not that smart. <laughs> so you can all see why I got to fake this national emergency, right? I have to because I want to. It's really simple. We have a problem. Drugs are coming into this country through no wall. I asked President Xi if they had a drug problem in China.
2: <laughs> and
3: I'm not going to to the voice, but he said, no, 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 me no like drugs, me like death penalty. <laughs> you know what, it sounds better with the voice, I think, I must say. But imagine if we used the death penalty for non-violent crimes here. You shoplift, bing, bing, two in the back of the head, okay? Just something to kick around. So, I'm basically taking military money so I can hasball. So I'm gonna sign these papers for emergency, and then I'll immediately be sued, and the ruling will not go in my favor. And then I'll end up in the Supreme Court. And then I'll call my buddy Kavanaugh. And I'll say, it's time to repay the Donnie. And he'll say, new phone, who dis? <laughs> and, but then the Mueller report will be released, crumbling my house of cards. And I could just plead insanity and do a few months in the puzzle factory. And my personal hell of playing president will finally be over. So
1: this is what started the whole thing. Uh, that, that skit uh, of recreating the, the Rose Garden speech about the national emergency. Trump responds uh, to that by saying nothing funny about tired Saturday night live on fake news NBC. Question is, how do the networks get away with these total Republican hit jobs without retribution? Likewise, for many other shows. Very unfair and should be looked into. This is the real collusion, which <laughs> it is. It is. Now, the argument's going to be made that Saturday Night Live has made fun of all presidents. But it's a different story with Donald Trump. And you got to admit that. It's the same thing with the media. Saturday Night Live never painted Obama as being an idiot or a big dummy. They don't even paint Nancy Pelosi as that now. They play patty cake with the Democrats while trashing Trump all along the way. But that that's neither here nor there. Trump sent out a tweet just trolling Saturday Night Live, trolling NBC. And Alec Baldwin comes out and basically accuses the president of threatening his family. He tweeted out, I wonder if a sitting president exhorting to uh, exhorting his followers that my role in a TV comedy qualifies me as the enemy of the people constitutes as a threat to my safety and that of my family. Well, I, I guess it would once we start actually seeing the cases of large numbers of Trump followers attacking liberals. The problem is we've yet to see it. And when we do see it, it turns out to be a hoax. So... Let me know when that stuff starts happening and we will uh, proceed. Speaking of the wall, the big beautiful wall, is going to have a big beautiful door for legal immigration. More than $12 million worth of methamphetamine has been seized in Texas as of yesterday. $12 million dollars. So this whole thing unfolded at the far Reynosa International Bridge Cargo Facility when officers crossed paths with a 42-year-old Mexican citizen who had quote a commercial shipment of frozen strawberries that was incoming from Mexico. The news release said, quote, CBP referred the shipment for further inspection, and with the use of all available tools and resources, officers discovered 350 packages of alleged methamphetamine concealed within the trailer. CBP uh, officials seized 906 pounds of meth along with the tractor trailer. The drugs were valued at 12 million. That man was arrested and later transferred into Homeland Security Investigations Agent's custody. Uh, The port director, David Gonzalez, of the uh, Hafar port of entry, hailed the drug seizure as being an outstanding interception. Now, there is a case of $12 million worth of meth coming through the port of entry, and nobody's denying that these drugs come through the port of entry. And nobody's denying that we need to beef up security at the port of entry if it's possible. And with the bill that's been signed, that's what exactly will be happening. But again, you can't say a majority of drugs come through the port of entry when you're not able to count the drugs that you don't catch that are coming through the open border. You can say 100% of the drugs have come through the port of entry, because you haven't caught any drugs illegally crossing the border. But that doesn't mean... That's the equivalent of saying we catch 100% of the drugs that come through the port of entry. You don't know that, because if you don't catch it, you can't count it. I mean, you could probably count it once kids across the country start overdosing and you find small portions of those drugs that did make it through after Americans are dead. But you can't say that. It's a talking point by the Democrats to do nothing more than keep a promise from being fulfilled by this president. Another reason we might want to consider a wall. We now have an illegal alien accused of repeatedly raping a 15-year-old girl in Kentucky. Andres... Villa Rill Merceda has been charged with three counts of first-degree rape, according to the McCracken County Sheriff's Department. This is after a lengthy investigation by police. They're claiming that this illegal alien repeatedly raped a 15-year-old girl between March and May of 2016. Three separate occasions. This guy was arrested last week and charged with the three counts of rapes. The illegal alien is now being held on a $100,000 bond, which seems a little low to me. It's unclear whether ICE agents have, uh, have been notified about this guy's presence in the country, but a most recent study by the Federation for American Immigration Reform, which the acronym for that is FAIR, revealed that illegal aliens are sometimes over 5.5 times more likely to be in state prison for crimes committed against Americans than citizens and legal immigrants. In California, the state with close to 3 million illegal aliens, illegal aliens are over 230% more likely to be in prison than Americans and legal immigrants. In New York, with an illegal population of about 900,000 people, illegal aliens are nearly 200% more likely to be incarcerated than American citizens and legal immigrants. So continue to repeat the lie that Americans are more likely to commit these crimes. Homegrown terrorism, homegrown violence is more likely to happen than from illegal immigrants. Well, then why is there a 200% increase or there's 200% more illegal immigrants in these prisons than Americans and legal immigrants? Why? They won't discuss that with you. What else we got before we get out of here? Oh, we're finding out that uh, the people that are backing the new Green Deal on the financial end, uh, it's crafted by three far-left organizations and is being pushed by a coalition of well-funded professional progressive groups known as leftist agitators. Anybody want to know who's financing these? Quote unquote leftist agitators, these progressive far left organizations, none other than your boy George Soros. Uh huh. George Soros is funding the Green New Deal. Shocker, I know, but I figured I would uh, just give you a heads up. There's also the story of the Alabama woman who uh, moved to Syria to join ISIS. And now wants to come back home after she's been captured by coalition forces. Hoda Muthana? Muthana? Whatever her name is. She was a college student here in Alabama at the age of 19. Decided to move to Syria. move to the Middle East and join ISIS. She's since given birth. Been married three times because her terrorist husbands keep getting blown to smithereens. And uh, now she's sick and tired of of being in... uh, being in the Middle East, wants to come home. And her excuse is, it's okay, you can revoke my passport, I'll never go back. The problem is, is it wasn't just she just moved over there, quickly realized she made a bad decision and wanted to come back. She actually moved over there, quickly started promoting the death of Americans, asking jihadists to get box trucks and vehicles and, and run over people during the holidays and spill American blood in the streets. She was noted, they touted her as one of the most influential online uh, promoters, agitators, if you will. She was very adamant about killing Americans and Europeans, telling people of uh, their clique, hey, Get a box truck, get a get a get get a, a van, whatever. And go during the holidays as people are out in the streets and just mow these people over. Kill the enemy, kill the infidels. This is her. These are the things she said. And now all of a sudden she's been captured and she's asking, hey, I'm just a regular young lady from Alabama, and and I just I want y'all to take me back. Please get me out of this situation. Girl, yeah. You get to stay in the Middle East. You made your bed, now you can lie in it. Now, at first, on face value, a lot of people say, oh, man, that's such a horrible situation. Uh, may, maybe we can just bring her back and get her out of that. She obviously just made a bad call and and, and ran off and, and quickly regretted it. No, 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 no. She was full-blown terrorist. So if you bring her back over here and let her resume her life as it was before she left, You're basically just placing a terrorist back into society. This chick needs to be prosecuted. Yeah, bring her back over. Prosecute her to the fullest extent of the law. Throw her in Gitmo or whatever, but make sure she doesn't see the lie today again. She doesn't deserve it, and she is a danger to society. Lock her up. Throw away the key. What else? Oh, the famous uh, uh, portrait. From when Truman announced that um that World War Two was over. If y'all remember that, the, the sailor that was kissing the kissing the nurse that became one of the most famous photographs of the twentieth century. There was uh there's a a statue of that image. In Florida, I can't remember exactly where it is. Let's see. Um, Sarasota, Florida is where the statue is located. Well, ironically, the the guy in the photo, George Mendoza, Mendoza, however you say his last name. We'll just call him George. George, the Navy sailor, identified as kissing the nurse. The kissing sailor, as they dubbed him, passed away this past Sunday. He would have turned 96 years old. Just uh, either, I guess yesterday, he would have turned 96. Um, according to his daughter, she said he was very proud of his service and the picture and what it stood for. Always for many, many years later, it was an important part of his life. Then on Monday, the day after this man passed away, a man who served this country, the Florida statue in in Sarasota, Florida, was vandalized by Me Too partisan hacks. Somebody goes up to that statue and spray paints on the leg of the nurse, hashtag Me Too as if to insinuate that this guy who just died a day before is some sort of rapist or sexual assaulter. Okay. This, is the, this is the generation, this is the society we're currently dealing with, where they were obviously offended enough to commit the crime of vandalizing that statue being offended by everything, everything, whether it's ruining comedy or ruining history, trying to rewrite history, that is the society we currently deal with today. So that's out there. Also, this one, even worse than vandalizing, about setting a dumpster on fire at Burger King while you leave your kids at home. Apparently, in Ohio, police have arrested a lady for endangering her children, arson, and criminal trespassing after she leaves her kids at home, goes to Burger King, and sets one of their dumpsters on fire. That sounds like a party to me. Lashana Tucker, who is 26 years old, a very mature 26, she left her children, who are four and six years old alone in her house before she went to Burger King. She allegedly wanted money from the children's dad, who is an employee there at Burger King. She sets the dumpster outside on fire after attempting to enter the kitchen at the restaurant. And once she's asked to leave and refuses, they call the police. She didn't leave before the police get there, but they end up arresting her on Monday. And uh, she was apparently scheduled to be in court yesterday. I don't know what happened with that. But uh, yeah, you're wanting money from your baby daddy. He works at Burger King. So first of all, it's probably going to be tough getting money out of him because he's trying to live as well. But as a dad, you need to uh, live up to your responsibility. They won't let her in because they're closed or they realize she's crazy or whatever. So she's like, I'm going to set this dumpster on fire. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to show them I'm going to burn their garbage. So old Lashana gets in a little bit of trouble and she, uh, she may be sitting in the pokey. I don't know. Another guy that's sitting in the pokey is a guy who seemed like a really solid dude. He was in a Nashville bar, uh, where he was drinking and hanging out and having a good time, and and once the end of the night came around, he tipped the bar staff twenty two thousand dollars. So you can imagine, you're like, wow, these guys that are that are working at the bar, they're out here busting, they're in, they're you know trying to make ends meet, trying to provide for the families, whatever. And this guy comes in, has a few drinks, whatever, and he tips them twenty two thousand dollars. The guy's name is Joel Boyers. He's 39 years old. He's from Bellevue, Tennessee. He said uh, he had waitresses competing over who would serve him. I guess they knew that he had had a lot of of money. Records show that he purchased more than a dozen drinks from the minibar in his room and bought two more drinks at the hotel bar. Police were called to the scene after some of this guy's friends reported that they'd received strange texts from him, including claims that he'd taken drugs and was carrying a gun on him while drinking. He also made bizarre statements about giving away his child on Facebook. So they show up. Boyers tells the cops he'd been drinking all day and had smoked weed as well. He handed his weapon to police, removing it from his pants pocket, and then he was booked in the Davidson County Jail, but was released after posting bond. Hopefully he had some money left over after giving the bar $22,000, and uh, he's doing court in March. (laughs) But if he would have never texted his friends talking about giving his kid away on Facebook and having a gun on him, he'd have been straight. He just couldn't help himself. I know how you people are when you drunk text, start talking crazy need to put the phone down. Put it down. And last but not least, a viral letter beaming across the internet where a teacher had to reprimand a child for not doing his homework. The punishment she gave him was to write an essay about why he felt the need to not do his homework. So... That's exactly what he did. He wrote a paper uh, and gave it to the teacher, explaining why he's not doing homework. And that letter goes as follows. I didn't do my homework because I don't want to do schoolwork over the weekend because it's a stress. Hold on. Okay. Let's start over. It's hard to read some people's handwriting. I didn't do my homework because I don't want to do schoolwork over the weekend because it's a stress-free time to go out with friends, watch TV, and play games. I don't do it also because it makes me very mad and unhappy. I do what makes me happy because I want to be happy. Plus, my mom has been finding gray hairs. Not trying to stress out, dog. The real, world jobs, the real world jobs don't give you homework unless you're a boss or teacher. Homework is not a real thing in the real world, so we should not have to do it in school because it's not useful. Case closed. The court rule in favor of Edward Emanuel Cortez in the case of student homework. <laughs> That's pretty good. That actually seems like something either I would have done when I was a child or that P. Diddy would have done one day. I could imagine getting an email from P. Diddy's teacher and he's written a paper like that explaining why he's not doing his homework. Actually, I anticipate that happening very soon. Probably today. That's it, guys. Thank you for hanging out. Don't forget tomorrow, Joy Villa will be on the show we'll start the show a little bit later for those of you that watch the uh, live version it'll be not only here on youtube it'll be on facebook live as well so make sure you hook that up wherever works best for you and over the line hit it up sign up for the newsletter got some exciting things coming your way on that front and also, email me for the email segment, Andrew at overthelineshow.com. We're about to bring the email segment back. So, you guys start sending me some emails. We'll do two or three a day. And it'll be a good time. You'll enjoy it. I'll enjoy it. Everybody will enjoy it. It'll be fun. Until next time, see you, cuz.